welcome to the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only podcast that doesn't subtweet. I'm your host for this evening, Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Mr. Jacob Klappenstein. Jake, how you doing tonight? Always wonderful, my friend. Did you have a good New Year's? I had a great New Year's. How about yourself? Wonderful. Went to a nice bar restaurant over in kind of a weird area in Robbinsdale, but had a wonderful time. They always have a good time at the New Year's party. So what'd you guys end up doing? Went out to some friends that we get together with every year. And uh, I guess the big win this year is that everybody actually stayed up till midnight, which was uh, (laughs) by itself was a victory. But I went through the effort of bringing a large bag of games only to leave them sitting by the door the entire time and have them never, ever get touched. I'm kind of finding that's the case, too. Like, it's great to have variety, but it seems like I'll pack this big bag of games for the cabin or going up to some event like what you just mentioned, New Year's. And like, if we're going to play anything, it's probably just gonna be like one game. So like, yeah. I should probably just bring one. I, I don't know. It's it's strange. But then it's the whole thing where always be prepared, right? It's better to have too many games than too few. Right. I just settled for one. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Having said that, my wife and family did play games while I slumbered in the morning on New Year's Day. So they got used. Awesome. As we have mentioned, it is a brand new year, which means that we should probably summarize 2019. Yeah, boy, what a great year of gaming. Both Jake and I use an application called BG Stats, which is available both for iOS and Android. And I jokingly call it a Fitbit for gaming because it tracks all of your game habits and game playing and timing and everything like that. And, you know, at the end of the year, it gives you some pretty cool stats that you can look back at. So, Jake, how'd your year go? It went wonderfully. Um, This is my most played year, I believe. I don't I think I beat 2018, but through shenanigans of getting a crokinole board later in the year and playing it like 40 times. How many plays did you get this year, Mark? Mine was up this year as well. I ended up with uh, 312 total plays this year, which is um, eh, it's probably up about 10% over last year. That's pretty big. I ended up getting 450, but that number has a bit of an asterisk because about 30 or 40 of the plays are crokinole, which <laughs> takes 15, 20 minutes and is not. It's a board. Game. It's it's weird. It doesn't quite count as a board game, but it does. I don't know. Yeah, and I think we'll kind of get into this a little bit more. I think a lot of your plays, you tend to play smaller games a lot more times. Yes, counter that. I I think I don't play mid-weight games as much as you do. I think I play either really heavy games like 18xx a little bit more than you you do, or I play like really small, fast games like Crokinole or Keyforge or something like that. Sure. So how many different games did that turn out to be? 450 plays for me and 156 different games. Yeah, I ended up with 150 different games. So that's interesting that you have so many more plays, yet not that many more titles. Yeah, I mean, a decent amount of that. We'll we'll go through what we played in just a moment. But my H index is a little higher than you, which an H index is functionally how many games you played how many times. So if you were to play like three games three different times, that's all the nine. You only played nine times throughout the year. Your H index would be three. So my H index is nine. So I played nine games at least nine times. And your H index is what, Mark? My H index is five, so I tended to be wider rather than deeper. Yes, but I think you played more games like three or four times than I did. I think I'm more of like a kind of sneaky little um, sweeping curve, and I think you're probably a little more plateau-y if I were to guess. Well, one of the things I did this year, talking about doing everybody talks about a 10 by 10, uh, that that's that's complete nonsense in my world. There's no chance I'm going to play 10 games 10 times in any year ever, unless like my collection burns to the ground. And let's not even joke about that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so my goals this year were to do a one by 100 and a two by 50. And this year I thought I'd add a three by 33 to the mix. And, uh, you know, as the gear went on, I thought, oh, yeah, let's see if we can do a four by 25. 
So I guess it'd be a 25 by four or something. I'm getting it backwards. So I hit all four of those and managed to hit 25 games four times, 33 games three times, 50 games two times, and 100 games one time. Yeah, I do the same thing, but I do keep a 10 by 10. And I was like two plays away. I had to play Gents once. And I had to play the Great Zimbabwe once, which I could have done online, which I do count my online plays for that. How many different people did you play with this year? This is actually one of my favorite stats. Looking back over the course of the year, I don't track every single person. Like if there's somebody I just randomly sit down with once, I'll I'll put them in as an anonymous player. But it, it gives me credit for 94 different players of which 76 were named. So, wow, I got a chance to game with a lot of people this year. And that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm I have the same mentality as you, but I think I'm even more stark. I usually have to play with somebody two or three times before I'll add them into my little stat app thing. I have 150 different players, but only 74 are named. So I think all of the anonymous people become the difference between 150 and 74 there. So 76 different people. What are your top five games you played this year, Mark? Interesting collection. I, you know, if you would have said, ask me to guess, I probably would only hit one or two of these. I would say actually every single one of these games was new to me this year. That's an interesting stat. Oh, <laughs> I wow. guess I am all the new hotness. Yeah, every single one of my top games was the first time I played it was in 2019. Top two games at eight plays apiece were Eggs of Ostrich, a little three player only Japanese import game that our friend Ashley showed me. Gugong was actually my highest uh, played big game at eight plays. I played 18 New England six times, which is pretty good, being that that was just released kind of late summer, early fall. Across the United States, a uh, Japanese import by Hisashi Hayashi. That one got played six times and Istanbul six times. Good collection there. That is a much more interesting list than mine. Mine is pretty boring. It's all the ones I think you'd think I'd get a lot of reps into. Mm-hmm. Um, I played Crokinole 33 times, played Keyforge 26 times. I played Arboretum 20 times, which is amazing. Metro X 15 and Azul, I played 12. The interesting part of my list is actually just down from there. Once you go past startups, then it's 18 New England, 18 um, Age of Steam, The Great Zimbabwe, Gentis, Irish Gage, Pax Mir, 1846, Bus, and 1849. All of those having six or more plays this year. So. I did. Wow, I did a good a wall of heavy. <laughs> yeah, I did a good job, like right beyond that of getting a lot of frequent plays. But at the very like tip top is all those really quick, fast, easy games that I know are going to do well with a lot of different people. Huh. So as is a tradition with a lot of board game podcasts, let's summarize our year. So we did a little bit of our play stats and BGG stats, but let's talk about the hobby in large, shouldn't we, Mark? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, we've got a few different categories that we've gone through here and made our selections for, you know, the pithy things like game of the year and so forth. This was harder than I thought it was going to be, Jake. Yeah, it's a weird year. And I think we should probably reference at least the the macroscopic idea that we had for 2019. We wanted to play games that we loved more and explore new hotness less. Yeah. And I think that we did a really good job of that. I think we both played games from each other's collection much more often. I think we both called our collections pretty good this year, and I'm not going to say detached from the board game hobby, but we became a little more considerate to the games that we played. So this year was very weird. I think if we compare like just last year, new games that I played to just this year, new games I played, I think I'm down like 20%. So I'm actually looking at looking at games that were new to me this year. I played 78 games that were new to me this year versus 88 for last year. So yeah, there's about a, you know, 12, 15% decrease in new games this year while increasing the number of plays. So that certainly bears fruit to the fact that I had played more games more times. 
Gotcha. I am actually a little bit less of a percentage difference. So I was at 111 new games last year, and I'm only at 100 this year. So I'm down 11, but I got into solo gaming this year, and I bought five or six solo games just to play alone. So if you take out that, the difference becomes a little bit more stark. But yeah, I mean, we, we both, I think, did a good job of doing what we said we do and kind of play less new games. I don't know if that's the hobby being less interesting to us or if it's us being a little bit less interested in new games or just having enough games on the shelf. But I think we did a good job of it. I don't think it's either one of those things, Jake. For me personally, it's gaining enough background now that I can really objectively look at all the games across them and say, wow, these these are the games that are really great. And so I can play a new game once and go, well, yeah, that's a great game, but is it as good as brass? And would I rather just play brass or something like that? And, you know, for me this year, a lot of times the answer was, yeah, I'd rather just play brass. Yeah, I completely agree. Just kind of knowing what we like and maybe the, the, the new shiny, I think it's has a little bit less allure to us, too, because there's enough shiny sitting on the shelf. For me, it's really a case and not so much that the new shiny isn't still shiny. It's just that I am more appreciating the historical accomplishments of games that are truly great. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Why don't we talk about our games of the year, both just the ones that were released in 2019 and then the ones that were released in any year, but are new to us this year. Fantastic. I think as usual, we're going to ping pong back and forth between those. These are in no particular order, at least for me, Jake. I don't know if you ordered them in any uh, particular order, but I did. You did? Okay. Well, mine aren't in any order. I did, but 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 I'm not happy with my order. So saying that they're not in any particular order totally applies for mine. Got you. Let's start with honorable mentions. Got it. Let's do it. So this is a weird inclusion. It technically wasn't really new to us this year because I'd played it 2018, but I didn't enjoy my plays and 2018 was the year for this game. So I included it here. It should actually be higher on the list, but I'm going to include it just because I like it so much. I'm speaking of Age of Steam. We've talked about a whole bunch on the podcast. It's an amazing, tight, cutthroat train game that we are both enthralled with, and it is one of my game of the year. It is uh, definitely one of my games of the year as well. It's a game that I have had absolutely miserable time playing multiple times and still love the game. So <laughs> to me, that's a testament on how great a game it is when I can just do awful yet still look back and go, oh, it's a good game. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. What's your honorable mention there, Mark? This list is the game of the years from any year. These are just games that we played for the first time this year. So these could come from whenever. And some of these are actually pretty old hotness. So you're going to listen to some of these and laugh and just go, really? 2019 was the first time you played this game. Well, yes. <laughs> so actually, one of my honorable mention games for game of the year for any year was actually a 2019 release. And I'm including this one virtue to the fact that this was my most played large game of this year. So therefore, I guess it kind of does have to be one of my game of the years, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got to. Yeah, I'm talking about Gugong, which actually I ticked my first playoff in the first week of January 2019. This is published by Game Brewer, designed by Andreas Stedding. This is a, a game about the Chinese forbidden city and doing bribes. It's a really cool worker placement mechanism in there that involves trading one card for another. And I bet I've taught this to oh, 25 different people. and had near universal like for it. So agreed. Eh, that's a game of the year for me. Yeah. And it seems like it's one of those games that newbies like to play. And there's a lot there for people that have played it a decent amount. And you playing it so many times is clearly testament to that. Yep. And uh, still ready to play it again after it being my most played game last year. Wonderful. So my number three game of any year, but for me this year is Clans of Caledonia, designed by Juma Al Juju and published by Karma Games. I, last year was kind of the year of uh, Gaia Project, 
And this year was also a year of Gaia Project. I played it a lot this year as well. But I wanted kind of a little bit lighter version that was a little bit more noob friendly. So I did some research, ended up finding Clans of Caledonia, which has an awesome little small box compared to most big Euro games, and ended up buying Clans of Caledonia. And kind of like you with Gugong, Mark, I've taught this game to a lot of different people, and people just kind of get it, if that makes sense. You know, there's a decent list on kind of what actions you can do. Each thing that you're doing isn't super hard, but all decisions have a lot of implications to them. There's a little bit of financial aspect to it with a market with the different commodities that you're doing, but it's a great little game. I think it's an amazing kind of addition to the Gaia versus Terra Mystica kind of world. This one is, I think, 70 or 80% as deep as those but probably takes 50% of the amount to learn. So getting 80% of a game for half the teach is definitely something that has made Clans of Caledonia a wonderful game for me this year. And I would also say 50% the playtime. I mean, this thing spins through pretty quickly as well. And all of those things, it's a very high bang for the buck experience as compared to Gaia Project and Terra Mystica. Are those bigger, deeper, better games? Objectively, yes. But I think I would actually pick Clans of Caledonia more often than not. Agreed. What is your number three, Mark? My number three was a surprise. This is a game I've been aware of for a long time. I had it as an app on my phone way back when I first got my phone, and I tried playing it, didn't really understand it, never really played it. So I'm not counting that as a not new for me, but I've always been interested in it. And finally, our friend Brent brought this one night and said, hey, anybody want to learn raw? <laughs> I'm like, oh, right here. I love Ganesia auction games. And so, yes, I understand this game is older than dirt, but I finally learned it for the first time in 2019. And this is absolutely one of my evergreen golden Mount Rushmore games right now. If I ever need a one hour game that has a lot of interesting decisions and laughs and fun around the table, I'm going for Ra. My copy is the Uber Play version. I managed to get a brand new shrink wrapped version later this year, and I've already gotten a bunch of plays on it. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of this game. We've spoken about it on the podcast a bunch, but the fact that it's a little bit on rails with what you can actually do means you can pull from a really wide amount of people into this game. And it's just, it's so fun. The production's great in the Uber Play, too. I am 100% searching for a copy. If any listeners are interested in parting with theirs, let me know. Yeah. Ra by Reiner Knizia, published by Uberplay. What's your number two, Jake? My number two is another financial game that is not just an auction game, but it certainly has auctions in it. I'm speaking of Container, which is designed by Franz Benno Delange and Kevin Nesbitt and Thomas Ewart. Um, and this was published by Mercury Games. Container is a kind of economic simulation game where you are different people producing different containers to sell to this weird island that exists. This game is an amazing production. There's these little resin ships. I shouldn't call them little. They're little compared to us, but they're the biggest minis that I have in any game that I own. And it's just a really fun auction, kind of long, pretty meaty, but not too meaty game. I, I think it's a wonderful game. Jake, pretty pleased with sugar on top. Can you teach me this game tomorrow? I have no idea how you haven't played it. It's just it's amazing. It's one of those games that you actually owned a copy before I did. And I think it's a game that will work this game and I've never played. And I think it's a game that will work with your family pretty well. It's a little bit heavier than raw, but like it's, oh, it's so good. And it's it's not as Euro-y as a lot of games that kind of try to have a little auction editor or production aspect. And it's fun showing it to people because so many people will overproduce in this game. And it's it's oh, it's it's amazing. Big ships. I can't wait. Big ships. I can't wait for you to play. It. You're going to love it. So that is Container, which is my number two game of the year from any year, not 2019. What's your number two, Mark? But hey, I now have Popeye arms from carrying that thing around a complete day of Gen Con this summer. Oh my God, it's so big. It's such a big, heavy box. And it's completely full, too. <laughs> if, you, if you open up the box, it's all full of resin. 
Awesome choice there. My number two is one that I may be going to hold off because I think you're going to talk about it right now. I am. What's your number one, Jake? This is our first crossover. This is Leaving Earth by Joseph Fatula and Luminaris Group. This is both top five for our top 20 games, I believe, right? Yep, indeed. Yeah. And so what you're doing is your different space agencies in the 60s racing to space. You're trying to leave Earth. And it just has an amazing kind of feel to it of testing different rockets, testing different parts and trying to be the best you can be. It's kind of mathy. So I have certainly not shown it to everyone, especially people that are math phobic in games, because this is a game where you literally have a little work pad and do a bunch of little math to figure out if you're going to be able to make it to Mars or not. But it is an amazing game. We're such huge fans of it. What do you think of it, Mark? I think I'm going to put this in 18xx family tree terms. So if High Frontier compared to Leaving Earth were games, High Frontier would be 1817, a financial shenanigans game. And by that token, Leaving Earth would be 1861. It's a pure run good companies game. It's all about engineering. It's about building the best ships and figuring out the most efficient way to get from point A to point B. And Man, the space nut that grew up in the 70s right after man walked on the moon in me just feels so good when I play this game. Yeah, I mean, it'll always be one of my favorites. Yeah, it's it's amazing. The presence of it is amazing, too. The art looks great. It's it's an amazing game, which is why it's my number one of new to me this year games that are not published in 2019. My number one is going to come with a warning sticker. JJ earmuffs. <laughs> now that we said that. <laughs> My number one game of the year is Agricola by Uwe Rosenberg. I don't know how I never played this game. Spoiler, my friend JJ that gave me the copy of it is now completely over it and would rather just play Caverna. So it just never got played. And he just he gifted me his copy of it. And oh, my goodness, I love playing this game. I'm actually playing an online version with some friends right now. And it's a game that I actually want to teach my family pretty bad because... I don't know that they'll notice the meanness of it. Maybe they will. They'll just like making farms. And I like that it appeals on that demographic as well. So this is a game that's now 15 years old, perhaps. And I'm so glad I've now added this evergreen title to my list of favorites. Agreed. I love Agricola and ended up getting a copy. It's just such an amazing game. Those were our top three games of the year for any published year. Now. It's an end of the year of 2019, so I feel beholden, Jake, for us to talk about our favorite games of 2019. We're going to abandon the old hotness, jump straight to the new hotness, and overall, just uh, give, give me a thought. What would you think of the year in general for new games, Jake? So it's interesting. We talked about this a lot when we first started the podcast, but we are not trying to macroscopically look at the board game hobby whatsoever. This podcast will fit into what we are going to play anyways. We are not reviewers. We're not going to get review copies. We're just not interested in seeing, I'm putting this in air quotes, but you can't tell, what the hobby is doing. So I think that 2019 may have been a weaker year, but also with that, we're not playing all the midway euros that came out and were hot at Gen Con. That was certainly something I think we both attempted to distance ourselves from this year. Would you agree there, Mark? I agree. And I, I think for me, there's a there's a very clear cut reason for that. And I've heard I'm not the only one saying this. I'm not <laughs> laying any unbelievable truth bomb on you right now. But I think that there is a very strong undercurrent in the hobby towards less confrontation and more. Yay. Look at the sandcastle that I built. 
that's not our favorite type of game. So therefore, a lot of the newer games aren't appealing to me as much because, you know, if you look at the games that I included in my top games, some of those are fairly confrontational. And I like games that have some elbows to them and have consequential decisions. And I think there's a general trend this year towards games that are a little more multiplayer solitaire, a little more, let's see what you can achieve given no interference. Right. And I don't know that that's my favorite thing. Right. No, and it, it totally shows. I think we both kind of are over the whole roll and write thing. And it seemed like just kind of low interaction games are what really is becoming the norm. So if you're someone who likes kind of more of that style of games, it's a great time for board games for you because I'm sure their top XYZ mini list will look a lot different than ours. With our caveats being said, how many 2019 games did you play this year, Mark? So I did play 21 games that were tagged on Board Game Geek as being 2019 releases. There are some of those that are a little questionable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, due to the fact they're re-releases and or new editions and or were released in small numbers this year. <laughs> so right. we're going to probably wrap some caveats around these. But I ended up playing 21 new games this year that were had 2019 release dates. Jake, how about you? 25 so right in the pocket with you but the same caveat supply of the reprints you know there's all the 18xx games and all that stuff so why don't i start at first with the one that we're alluding to there was an 18xx game that i very much like this year released but the actual published version the pre-orders just went up like five or six days ago that really should be a 2020 game i think because it's when everybody else can get it if you're not in the play testing group um, i'm speaking of 18 new england by scott peterson from all board games that is my honorable mention for 2019 game of the year i love what it has to offer i think it has really pared down the whole merge or convert small minor companies into a bigger game into a bigger company game um, i like the way that the map develops i like the track lay in it I like the issuance and control of the different capital in the game, but I think it works out to be an absolutely marvelous mergers style 18xx game. That's 18 New England. Well, and I think it's a it's a case of less is more, right? It pared down the experience on merging, but it made the decision on when and how to do it much more impactful and much harder. So it's very much a timing game. It's very much a boy. I Do I do it now? Do I do it later? How do I do it? When do I do it? And, you know, those decisions take the game off rails and make it so that you can very much lose it just by doing things the wrong, you know, a turn too early or a turn too late. There's definitely not a, well, I'm always going to grow it up at this point. Right. No, <laughs> there's no. a lot of different ways to do it. And not all of them are going to get you the win. Right. And it's one of those games that I think is very interesting compared to other 18xx games, because this is the one I probably had the worst read on when I first played it. I thought it was kind of boring. It played really slow. We thought the last couple of ORs went so long, but I played it 10 times this year. And because I played it so much, I felt like I actually got to see all of the different intricate little cogs in the game. And I really like it for what it has to offer. I think there is a lot of ways to interact with people. It's not as outright mean as other 18xx games, but I have certainly been stabbed in the back in this game more times than I can count. So that is 18 New England. <laughs> What's your honorable <laughs> mention there, Mark? My honorable mention is actually probably couldn't be more different than your choice. My honorable mention is a tiny little card game. That's a Japanese import called In Front of the Elevators by Hisashi Hayashi, published by Sashi and Sashi. Somewhat available in the U.S. I know that uh, there's some online retailers that do carry this one. 
This one just is a ton of fun. You're trying to figure out what people go in front of other people and then trying to hose them by getting their scoring people out of those positions. Plays really quick and it's tension filled every time on this one. And I know this is a game that you and I have played multiple times at each other and have shaken fists at each other (laughs) a bunch of times over those plays. Right. And what's amazing about this game, too, is it just has this one mechanism in it that always gets a laugh from the table. Whenever three of the same age group of people are in an elevator line, they just say, screw it, I'm not going to go up the elevator anymore and they go get lunch and that always gets laughs it's a great game good presentation really fun to play this is definitely my honorable mention number two on my list and i wish i could add it but had to pare it down so if you can find a copy of it couldn't recommend in front of the elevators more it's a fantastic little game speaking of little games jake what's your number three choice for 2019 releases my third place game for 2019 is nine tiles panic designed by jean-claude pellin jens merkel and published by wink games I'm kind of keeping the whole Japanese small box game thing going. Nine Tiles Panic is a kind of variant on Nine Tiles, which is a racing game where you're trying to arrange nine tiles into a certain pattern. But what they did for Nine Tiles Panic is they turned it into kind of a city builder, where instead of symbols on each one of the the different tiles, they are different houses and streets and all these different things. And depending on what scoring cards come up, there is going to be certain parameters that you'll score on. So you're going to try to maybe make your city have a whole bunch of aliens in it in that time or depending on what the scorecard comes up. So it's really fun to play that. Nine Tiles, the regular version is one of my favorite games. So the fact that they just put a little bit more thought into it and made it kind of a little bit more gamey really worked out well for me. So that is my number three third place 2019 game, which I know you're a big fan of it, Mark. Oh, huge fan. One thing about it that I both love and have some maybe a raised eyebrow about is the all or nothing aspect of scoring with it. That if you have a legal board, you get to score. If you do not have a legal board, you do not get to score anything. Right. That's pretty much a fatal blow in the game. If you fail to score one round, you're out. You're going to finish in last place. You are out of the game and then get to play a bunch of them. So that's my one concern with the game is there's maybe a smoother way you could do that so that if you screw up one round, you're not automatically out of the game forever. But it also really makes sure that you stop and verify that your city is legal so that you don't avoid losing all your points for that round. Agreed. And with the fact that it's a very stressful timing based game, I yeah, I, I think they could probably have made it a little bit better there, but it works for what it is. And you just have to really tell people, hey check like three or four times just to make sure your city's finished it's better to have your city finished and be fifth place versus not finish your city and be first place yeah 100 percent on that one and and you know what this is a type of game that just isn't going to work for everybody and that's okay agreed so what is your number two 2019 game of the year mark my number two 2019 game of the year is actually it's going to be my number three 2019 game of the year which i'm going to skip because it's much higher on your list It is our other crossover. So my number two, second place 2019 game is the only one of our entire eight that you have not played, which is a bummer because I really think you're going to like this game. I'm speaking of Bus by Joris Rasinga and Jordan Druman, the Splatter crew published by Capstone Games this time. This is the 20th anniversary edition, which I know it's not technically a 2019 game, but there was no way for me to be able to buy Bus before I could have print and played it. But anyway. So bus, it is a different kind of transport game where you're moving people around the city to try to get them to go to different buildings, depending on the time of day. It's a really tight worker placement game that has that amazing thing from Dominant Species where you place all your workers. And then after everyone's passed, 
you then resolve all the actions top down. So it becomes very much timing and metering. Well, should I play there now? But I really need this, but I really need that. It becomes a really tight package that I think is just absolutely amazing. I think you're going to love this game, Mark. Yep. Uh, I think that's something in 2020 that I need to try sooner rather than later, for sure. Absolutely. So that is bus. Now we are going to your second place game. I apologize that I misspoke there, Mark. What is your number two 2019 <laughs> game? My number two game is another train game. Go figure. It's also another Hisashi Hayashi game. Go, Go figure. figure. This one is across the United States by Okazu brand designed by Hisashi Hayashi. Another import that's in a smaller box than you'd expect for the size of the game, but larger. This is one where I would say this is a mishmash of a whole bunch of things that taste familiar yet come off completely different. Like, it's kind of Age of Steam, but not. It's kind of Ticket to Ride, but not. It's kind of, it's it's a bunch of things, but not. kind of Northern Pacific and not. It's kind of Northern Pacific, but not. Yeah, so you're trying to complete routes in this game. You're trying to accumulate the most victory points. You're trying to increase the value of your shares. Um, you're trying to kind of have a surprise number of share majority, kind of a la Acquire or some of those, North Union Pacific or some of those other games. And there's just a lot of things in there. There's been some rumors I've heard lately that this is likely going to be published in the U.S. in 2020. Kind of a no-brainer there because I think it's a game that'll sell very well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this game. I think it's really fun to play. I'm excited to see who's going to pick it up and print it. For all the things that we described it, you'd think it'd be this really heavy monster. But this is like a family way game. It's easy to play. I would not feel weird breaking this out with a group of very light gamers. Yeah, and we have played this in as little as 30 minutes. I think at MogulsCon, we knocked this out with a new player in sub 30 minutes. Gosh, that's amazing. So that is across the United States. What's your number one, Jake? My number one is the one that you did not mention. It's my number one, your number three. PAX Premier 2 by Cole Worley and published by Whirligig Games. This game really took, took me over this year. I absolutely fell in love with this game. I taught it with a whole bunch of groups to mixed results and i just I love what it has to offer it it has spawned so many conversations between me and you what you're doing in pax is your different afghanistan tribes in the 1850s trying to machinate the right kind of political movements to between the the conflict between the afghani government the british and the russians and it's just amazing the production value on it is amazing too which makes it the fact that a lot of more casual gamers will want to play this game just because of the table presence but Oh, it's amazing. I think I got two really razor tight games in this one last Friday night with a couple friends of mine that I taught it to for the first time. And, you know, the first game, there was a lot of the what it was, you know, a friend of mine that's very into efficiency puzzles. And the first game, he was utterly and completely lost, (laughs) did not have any understanding because this game could not be farther away from an efficiency puzzle. It's really about, you know, the shifting sands of allegiances and what makes sense to do at that moment. And there's a lot of different levers to pull and he really didn't grok it, but he kind of liked it and actually, you know, demanded to play it again the second time. And by early in the second game, he had figured it out and it was a nail biter right down to the very, very, very bitter end of that last card coming across and getting triggered. And what, what a great game. It was a super fun night of playing Pax Premier all night long. And that's the reason it's on my top three games of the year. Objectively, if I were going to look at all the games that came out this year, It objectively probably is the best game of the year, in my opinion. Maybe not my best game of the year, but I would say it's absolutely the best game of the year that was published in 2019. Yes, absolutely. That we're aware of. But yeah, yes, correct. Yeah, it's 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 so amazing from like an academic standpoint. The fact that this game is exists is just amazing. 
And the the other thing that's weird about this game, I keep on finding myself mention that this is such a strange play of this game. You know, it seems like every single play of this oh, game yeah. creates such a different deck that creates all of these strange scenarios where it keeps on putting you into different situations. You know, there's not one opening like, oh, if I'm going to be first thing I'm doing Cavern is I'm going to take the overhang tile, you know. This has just completely different play and the fact that you have to really read the board state and figure out what's happening to figure out what you're going to do your team. Turn is amazing. I love Pax Premier. The other thing that I saw really come out emergent in the second game was the realization of the necessity of playing rock, paper, scissors and keeping the table balanced among players where one of the players was about to win and the other player quickly realized that, you know, whatever I think I'm doing by myself is less important than keeping him from winning. That's when the gameplay raised a lot and really became emergently interesting when you realize that managing the other players is actually probably more important than doing your game. Right. Doesn't matter if you win by one point or 15. A win is a win, right? For sure. My number one game is, um, and again, I rank these in kind of no particular order. These aren't, this isn't necessarily my number one game, but it is definitely one of my top three games. And this is a game that, uh, again, is an older game that was republished this year in a, uh, really masterpiece set. I'm talking about the Snowdonia Master Set, designed by Tony Boydell and a large list of friends, <laughs> published by NSKN. This is a gigantic box that is really a game system, much the same way that Age of Steam or 18xx is a game system that has been adapted in a variety of different ways and a different scenarios that have warped the game quite a bit to give you a lot of different stories to tell and a lot of different play styles and a huge amount of replayability. Super cute, super fun. Just I've kind of fallen in love with the Snowdonia world and the tongue-in-cheek additions to it and uh, the different stories that are told, whether you're playing in Japan or whether you're playing at Mount Snowdonia or in Germany or whatever you're doing. This is a game that, with the exception of one, has been loved by everybody. I am not. Am I the one? You might be the one. Oh, so I, I don't dislike this game. I think this game's great. I just, I, I don't know what I was expecting coming into this game, but I thought it'd be a Euro game that just like knocked my socks off. And it certainly is a great game. It just didn't knock my socks off. And the first time we played was a little meh. And it seems like maybe I'm just expecting too much out of it. I think it's a me thing. I don't think it's a game thing. I still think it's really fair. I think I gave it a seven or eight on BGG. You know, this is, this is a good game. I think it's great. Always will play it. Totally down to play. Right on. I'll take that. So that was my final choice in the game of the years released in 2019. Snowdonia master set, Tony Boydell and friends. Mark, are we going to make a little like sticker that people can put on their games? All these publishers, because we called it the game of the year. <laughs> Won't that be amazing? <laughs> you know what? You know what we could do? We could make a sticker with our soon to be named gaming mogul oh mascot. Gosh, that could be. Why great. is it? Why is it soon to be named? Because we have a contest going. Are we doing the contest in the middle of the episode? Sure. Why not? Why not? All right. Make sure to go to uh, gamingmoguls.com slash contest. Put your name in. We're going to be drawing sometime soon and you can win a copy of Modern Art, the Oink version. It's going to be great. We are naming our little logo as Mark. I will tell you, though, I've looked through the entries already. Oh, they're so good. They're so good. It's going to be so hard for anybody to win. I already have a couple of favorites. I don't know how we're going to pick this. I think we're going to have to do another contest to have everybody vote on it or something. Oh, I don't know how on earth we're going to nail down. There's half a dozen that are awesome. Yeah, completely. <laughs> Two things. For one, we said we were the only podcast that didn't subtweet other other board game podcasts. And we just I I made fun of the uh, little stickers that podcasts say are proved or whatever. <laughs> um, the second thing but it wasn't a tweet. Right. It wasn't a tweet. We'd said it in the we episode. We subpodcasted. There you go. Subcasted. The other thing being, speaking of disappointments, 
I think we should talk mm. about some disappointments we had this year, which Snowdonia mm. was a disappointment, but it's mainly just because I thought it'd be an 11 and it ended up being an eight. Yeah. So generally speaking, if, you're, if you've listened to us at all, for the most part, we're honest, but positive, right? We like games and we tend to play games that we like. And, you know, we don't do reviews, so we don't get this case where we just get a game and we both hate it and then we just trash all over it. That's not really our thing. Having said that, not everything this year hit the mark. And, you know, we're going to talk about that. And I think we, we had to have a little chat about this one ahead of time. And we had to decide, is this game that was just disappointing because it what didn't fit me or it wasn't a game that was different than our expectations? Or is this a game that just truly let us down because it's maybe not that great of a game? And we settled on the latter of that one. Having said that, Jake, what was the first game that you ran across this year that didn't hit the mark for you? Mark and I are pretty good, and I apologize to speak for you here, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think we're pretty good at not purchasing games just based on the hotness. You know, we don't say, okay, well, here's a million dollars. We want to get all the new games that are released this year. With one big exception, this publisher has completely taken us by a hold, and we absolutely love them. So I have bought nearly all of the Oink games. I think I'm just missing a couple. We've regrettably had to pick up a couple of their duds. And a 2019 release is definitely one that I think missed the mark for us. I'm speaking of Dual Clash Poker by Takashi Matsushita and Tatsuya Iwakura um, and published by the aforementioned Oink Games. This game is the lightest game I think I own. I think if you were to write out the rules for Rock, Paper, Scissors, it might actually be more complicated than Dual Clash Poker. And it's just, it's not that interesting. Functionally, what you're doing is you're playing war multiple times across the table, but the one person who's the highest will win the entire section of war. So it's two player teams, two player versus two players, and you functionally can play whatever card of your seven card hand. And if you ever play a card that's the same as the person that you're playing against the way, then both those cards cancel and then the next highest wins. So it's like this weird thing of choosing when you're going to choose what to play when. It's just, I, I don't know. What'd you think of it, Mark? Yeah, I, this this would have been my honorable mention disappointment game this year as well. I, I have some mixed thoughts on this one. Number one thought is that first off to remember that this was actually a game that came out of a Japanese movie or something like that that they designed for this. So I almost mentally categorize this as an art piece in the same category as Void or something like that. That you know, This is really like a movie prop, not necessarily a game. And it's if you're a completionist in collecting that that's probably a thing to add to your collection like we are. Yes. So that's thought number one. Thought number two is like a lot of Oink games, there's kind of a game within the game. And I think the real game in Dual Clash Poker is the negotiation with you and your partner trying to outthink and metagame the other players rather than just the card play. Like, I don't think the card play is actually even the game. Well, yeah, so it's 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 that poison thing from Princess Bride. Did I poison yes. him? Yeah, Did I exactly. poison myself? Right, and then right, you go right. how many layers deep until you figure out what you think they're going to do. And then ultimately it ended up for me just kind of being like a random thing and tracking what people have played, which you can easily do because all the cards are face up. I, I don't know. I, yeah, it's definitely a one trick pony. And thus from a publisher we love, uh, this one's not the first one I'm going to grab off the table. There it is. So what is your number three disappointment of 2019, Mark? So my number three is a game that is from a major publisher that doesn't have a lot of misses to their portfolio. In fact, they tend to pick just one game a year and really promote the daylights out of that one. And that game is Corinth by Days of Wonder. It's a roll and write designed by Sebastian Pauchan. Actually, this isn't a bad game. I actually don't have anything bad to say about it was. The reason it was a disappointment to me is it was the realization that the oxygen had left the roll and write room. Like everything has been said and that it was just, it was heartbreakingly meh 
For a big publisher, it was entirely forgettable. And that was the moment I looked at it and went, okay, maybe we're done with this roll and write thing. Maybe it's time to move on. I think if people have listened to our podcast, I think they can kind of see that theme. It seems like we've just really kept the roll and writes we like and gotten rid of most of the ones that are kind of meh. Like I said, it's not a bad game. None of the games I'm listing are air quotes bad games, but I was disappointed by it because for exactly those reasons. So it's Corinth, Days of Wonder. All right. What was your number two, Jake? My number two is a game that I kickstarted for really no apparent reason. I like the art. I thought it'd be kind of a fast game. And if you were to describe this game on like a sales sheet, you think I would love it. It is Race for the Galaxy, but with dice, but not a dice game like Roll for the Galaxy is. I'm speaking of Fantastic Factories by Joseph Z. Chen and Justin Faulkner and published by Metafactory Games, which I believe is their first game they published on Kickstarter. So this game was pretty affordable. It delivered about six or seven months late off Kickstarter. And it is exactly what I just said it was. It's like kind of race for the galaxy, but with dice and no roll selection. So I was like, oh, God, I'm going to love this game. It just for some weird reason won't grab me. I've tried. I've played this game three or four times. It just it does exactly what it said it is. I'm not missing any rules. I've read them a whole bunch. It's about as light as these kind of games could come. It's just really boring. I don't really care what my partners or my opponents are doing. Um, It really becomes an efficiency puzzle, but the decisions I find are pretty easy. I think this could be a game that people would really like if they were trying to get more people into like engine builders. It's probably the lightest engine builder I know of. It plays really fast. It plays concurrently. So you do a lot of game and not a lot of time, but it's just kind of disappointing. I don't have anything else to say about it. It just I've given this game every opportunity to really jump out and be something I love and it just won't. I don't know what it is. Well, I think we can safely say that's maybe one I probably won't ever get the chance to play. Which is weird because it's one of those games that I'm fine promoting to other people. Like I, my friend Steven might actually buy my copy off me. And it's just it's it's a game that should do what it does. And it does. But I don't know. It just it's missed the mark for me. So it's a disappointment. I have nothing else to sure. say about it. I actually think it might be a game you might like because I think your kids could like it. And it's fast, but it'll be interesting. Maybe I'll, I'll let you try it sometime. That is Fantastic Factories, my number two disappointment. What's your number two disappointment there this year, Mark? So my number two disappointment is a case that sometimes it's the ones you love that hurt you the worst. This is a game I wanted to love so bad. And after playing it three times, I just have no desire to pull it off the shelf and play it again. I think there is some game there, but it's never a game I'd rather play over something else. And I'm talking about Black Angel by Pearl Games, authored by Sebastian Dujardin, Xavier Georges, and Elaine Orban. This hurts me so bad because Twa is one of my very favorite games, and this is the spiritual successor to Twa, and there's never a time I wouldn't rather play Twa. So I thought Twa in space is going to be, you know, just a sheer home run, kind of in the same way Gaia Project was a home run shifting Terra Mystica to space, but yeah, it wasn't that. Just kind of empty. Every time I got done playing it, I just kind of went, eh, that was a thing. I just haven't been drawn to play it again. So it's pretty, and it's uh, pretty going to sit there on my shelf for quite a while. <laughs> It's funny. I don't know if I had like premonition on this or something, but I didn't super actively avoid this game, but I certainly didn't help you get it played, if that makes sense. Like, I think there's a couple opportunities where I could have played it with you. And I was just like, you know what? Let's let Mark figure it out and see if it's something I want to do. And I never played it. So I don't know if it's a bad game, but I guess I was not subject to the same disappointment you were. It's always a bummer. Yeah. When you just really want to love a game, it just it just doesn't work. That's exactly the case. It's not that it's a bad game. I enjoyed the plays I had of it, but it wasn't what I thought it could have been. Right. And I think that's why I'm disappointed. Absolutely. How about number one, Jake? My number one, I actually will say, is a pretty bad game. So you know how there's a lot of games, and this is discussed a lot in the 18xx community, where it's 
how can you grok information on the board the most easy way? So for example, take 1817, right? People will always complain about it because there's three different sizes of companies and that you should be able to change the different stock market markers so you can see different heights. So you can easily see how much shares are in each company for an example or something. The entire game of this next game to describe is just looking at the board and trying to decode the information. Like if you were to have a computer program that would make this game easy to see, it would be a much better game. I'm speaking of Noctiluca, which is designed by Shem Phillips and published by Z-Man Games. Function with this game is it's the dice drafting game where imagine a kind of hex grid that's shaped like a hexagon where there's a bunch of different spots on the outside where you can put down tokens and you can take one lane's worth of dice and you get to get all the dice of one number. So functionally what you're doing is you can look at the board, count up however many dice are in each pathway and then just take that. That's the entire game. Then you're taking these dice that you get, putting them into little potions to get yourself points. That's the entire game. And it is so tedious, so annoying, which is such a bummer because if you know the name Shem Phillips, he's a designer of the of the North Sea and the of the kingdom of the of series of the of series. He's the of the of series guy. And you just would have thought is this game would have been a little better. And it's just no thanks. I'd rather I'd so much rather play Sagrada because then the dice you're drafting are a not about grokking information that exists on the board and b you're actually doing something interesting with them versus just looking out and saying, okay, well, that one gets me six dice, but I don't get to use this one die versus that one. It's just it's just felt really hollow and didn't ring true for me. Ultimately, this game is pretty light and there's nothing you like more in a fairly light game than a ton of AP. This game is the easiest, most AP inducing things because what happens is everybody recounts every row, every combination, every time. And it takes forever for what's generally a pretty light game. Right. And it's one of those games where I haven't done this, obviously, but I'm going to theorize again because we just fire from the hip. That's what we do in this podcast. You could just write a computer program. It's just like get the most dice each time and then just do that each time. It, it's it's such an easy <laughs> think, if then, right? But I think the problem is then you don't have a game anymore. Right. And so that's the thing. It just didn't felt like any of my decisions were even decisions. They were just things I was doing. It became an accounting exercise at a certain point. Yeah. No, no thanks. And the fact that there's, and I'm not speaking like there's like six dice on the board. There's like four dice per each one of these hexagons. And there's somewhere in the order of like 20 hexagons out there. So you're looking at a lot of dice, you know, and there's no way that like the different faces are different colors because each one of the dice has to be a certain different color because they're different like resources to make these little potions. It was a bummer. Not a big fan. My number one was a game that I resold faster than probably any other game that I've resold because this was so much stuff. It took up so much room and it was so much money. And after playing it a couple times, both times I walked out of there and went, man, there's nothing here. I'm talking about Edge of Darkness by John D. Clare and AEG. And this, again, is in the category of the ones you love the most hurt you the hurt you the worst. I love Mystic Veil. I think that's such a neat game. And but that's a 30 minute thing that's in a small box. This is a three hour thing that's in a giant box and is a worse game. Take the pick from, you know, way over production to not interesting choices to too many rules to just some stupid rules. All of that added up into something that I realized that nobody was ever going to play with me ever. So I needed to just sell it as quickly as possible. And that I did. Hopefully it found a home on somebody that found something in it more than I did. Yeah. And I think this game is a perfect example of what I'm worried the hobby is becoming. It is a completely bloated, and I'm speaking this only in production wise value thing to just have stuff in it. You know, I mean, like, it had minis in it that had no apparent meaning out of it, right? Like they were just markers, right? They were just player pieces, right? Literally a meeple would have served the same purpose. 100%. And then they also had 
There's a wall. There's a full size like miniature castle, like a DM screen in this game. Just cause like they were card rests, right? Well, no, no, it was actually a cube tower. Okay, it was actually it was a, cube a tower. thing where, yeah, so you, you, you'd put in like the cubes that were attacking and they'd fall into one of three bins. If a bin reached a certain threshold, then whatever monster was stacked up against that one would attack. Got it. The problem with that is, so that's actually interesting and kind of innovative, and I've seen some good implementations of that. The problem is, is that every monster, no matter how cool the artwork or the theme on there, was utterly vanilla. Now, there's this concept in magic about vanilla creatures. Like a bear is just a two power, two toughness creature, and there's nothing interesting about it. It has no special powers. It's just it's just a two two creature. Yeah. It's just there, and every single creature in this was functionally vanilla. Right? Was it a vampire? Was it a pixie? Doesn't matter. One damage thing, or a two damage thing, or a three damage. Then it just thing. becomes this number brutal, uh, brutal accounting thing that just becomes very boring. Anyway, that was my number one biggest disappointment of the year: Edge of Darkness, AEG, designed by John D. Clare. Wonderful. Let's yank this back into the positive, Jake. Woo, I'm smiling. I'm so happy. So perky, Mark. Things we are really looking forward to next year. This was actually my favorite thing that we did last year. And it was a complete, we were very new at the podcasting thing last year, but I think it was such a fun idea because we both like running games and it's, we never really know what the other person kind of wants us to bring and play. And hearing this part of the thing is just my favorite thing. So what we do is we kind of name our top three games to play from the other, each other's collection. And our stuff that we played maybe once or twice, and we just really want to get back to the table. So, Mark, why don't you start us off? You know, I had to go back through and look at your list of games that you have. And, Jake, there's more crossover than I thought there was. <laughs> so, I was actually doing the math on the, can I pick a game that I own also that's in your collection just because I really want to play it bad? No, no, no. I'll make a point of picking stuff that I don't own. I tried to do that as well. Right. So, you know, because if you look at things that we both own that we both really want to play, that brings stuff like Arkwright into the mix, and I don't think there's any question that we both really want to play that one bad. Yes, absolutely. Of the games that are in your collection that we don't jointly own, my number three choice, in no particular order, is a game we talked about in the intro here. This is a game which is air quotes published in 2019. I'm talking about 18 New England, designed by Scott Peterson, published by All Aboard Games. And for all the reasons we talked about it earlier in this episode, I'm down to play this a whole bunch more times. And God willing, in 2020, maybe we can play with a production copy of it. Yes, absolutely. Well, and this is interesting, too, because I've played it a bunch. And you've played it a lot, too. But most of our plays have been online. I don't even know if, like, Tyler's played this game it's just like one that the like local crew has just completely missed out on it because we played it a bunch online and i played it a bunch on the sundays group but i haven't played with like john or any of the 18xx guys we played locally we played it at clopcon with john so john has played this okay gotcha but he's only played it once uh yeah i think that's very fair true so anyway no i think that's a great choice and hopefully uh even though i'm a whatever prototype copy of it i should get an upgrade kit i think is the plan so should see the nice new art yeah, that's a game I would definitely like to play more. What's your first choice, Jake? These are in a particular order, going in least interested to most interested, but my least interested one, I'm still very much interested. Um, we played this one once, and it was a completely suboptimal play, and I've kind of, it's been a little bit of an earworm to me. It's just been a game I've kind of been thinking about more, and I just want to actually see what it has to offer. I would like to try Craft Wagon by Matthias Kramer. bunch more mm. this upcoming year. It was a really fast year, I remember it. It had a bunch of really interactive mechanisms. The presentation was pretty bad. But it was a really fun game, and I, I like the rondelle. I like the action selection part of it, and it, it just it's it's just been one of those games that's kind of stuck with me. I think about it a lot. I don't know why, but that's Craftwig, and I'd love to play it again. Yeah, that's a fun game that, that crazy things can and do often happen when the market happens at the end, and 
I agree, Jake. This is one that it fits nicely into that sort of one hour, 90 minute thing with uh, multiple players. So I think we should definitely play that more. Agreed. What's your number two, Mark? My number two is a game that I, again, have been adjacent to more times than I can count. And it's a game that I know I'm going to like. It's uh, a game by the good Dr. Reiner Kinesia. It's Stevenson's Rocket. I still have not played this game at all. Interesting. (laughs) I've never played this game. And I know it's not a super long game. And I know it's not a super difficult game. And I really would like to try it. It's weird. This game is one of the games that I'm a little bit picky on player count for, and it only gets up to four players. So really only want to play us at three or four. And it's, I think, better at four than it is at three. I've played it a lot. I guess I just didn't really know you'd be interested in it. It's it's one I think you might like it. You might not. There's not any easy moves to start out the game, if that makes sense. You know, like, let's take 18, some 18xx, and there's a city right next to your city that already has track. You know, you're going to lay track the first time. And Stevenson's Rocket, take that away. You don't really know where you're going and why. But I really like it. It's a good game. I think I played it six or seven times this year. Comparing and contrasting, right? This is a this is a short-ish game, right? Yeah, under two hours. Definitely under an hour. Definitely okay. probably an hour and a half. But it's it's not long by anything. It fits that kind of like mid-weight-ish length. I may not like it, but it's always it's one that every time I see it on the shelf or every time I see it someplace, I kind of go, mm, I need to try mm. that. And the art's gorgeous on it, too. They did a great job with that production. So that's Stevenson's Rocket. My number two in particular order is one that we have both raved and ranted on. And you've actually played it a couple more times, but I've regrettably been not there when you've been playing it or at the other table. I want to play Underwater Cities by Vladimir Succi a whole bunch this upcoming year. I love this game. This is so cool. Yeah, it's an engine builder. To me, it's terraforming Mars, but actually fun. And uh, oops. Did I say that out loud? I'm kind of starting to agree with you on that, though. I played Terraforming Mars again, and it's just it's it's not that interesting. And it's actually pretty and it's actually interest. I don't know. I, I played this a lot of times in late 2019. And, and now that I'm looking at this one, eh, this probably should have been on my game of the year list because it's a game that I just universally loved every time I played it and have played it a bunch of times. It was in my November bag and I played it a pile as a result. So it's it's resting for the moment, but we'll make a return soon. Mostly because of the fact that there's an expansion coming out to it shortly. Ooh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I would love to play this game more. I, I, I just scratched the surface, played it awfully poorly, and just didn't really understand everything that was going on. And I want to circle back to it. It's so cool, man. And I think this is a game that honestly could use an expand. Like, I don't really get that interested in expansions for the most part, because most of the time I don't play enough of a game where I need more. This is a case where I think that the cards are actually a bit limiting in this one, and having a few more cards would be useful in this game. Agreed. So that'll be fun next year, the year of underwater cities. Right on. What's your number one, Mark? All right, my number one is a game that seems feels like a lot of times it's kind of always the bridesmaid. <laughs> and like it comes out a lot and it gets mentioned a lot, and everybody kind of goes, eh, and it never actually gets played. Um, to the point where we finally did play a couple of times online last year. And this is one of my two. Oh, heck. It's one of the two splatters I actually like. (laughs) It's Indonesia by Splatter. And we played this online a couple of times. They were they were such suboptimal plays online that we both made huge mistakes. We were still figuring out all the website worked for sure. I I, I remember saying in the chat, whoops, misread that. I, I just didn't. You know, it's one of those things where you're just like you're not in front of the game. So like we're just missing out on certain things and just completely shot ourselves in the foot. Well, and I sort of realized in in our play of online stuff that I don't like online websites that enforce the rules for you. Agreed. I much prefer a sandbox implementation along the lines of like Tabletop Simulator 
or our uh, you know board 18 plays of online because what happens in a game that enforces all the rules and the turn structure is you do something and then just you come back and just a bunch of things happen and you've lost a bunch of your pieces and you don't know why like what happened there i don't know somebody moved some oh they took over my company <laughs> you have to like go back oh, and read the God, log yeah. and see and and i don't i don't like that I, I i learn the game and i understand the game better if i personally have to manage the game and right. i felt that i was really disconnected from our online plays because i was not ma- actively managing the game so therefore i'd recommend we'd play it online but maybe we shouldn't we should just play this I think what has happened is I think Indonesia has been put with the 18xxs as a game that we kind of don't play on Wednesdays just because it's a little too financial. We know certain people in the group aren't going to like it that much. We kind of don't want to subjugate someone who's not interested in this kind of game to something. But it isn't. I, I don't think Indonesia is even that long. If you were to get a four player game with people that know that like this game, I don't think it'll take much longer than two hours, maybe two and a half. Yeah, probably true. And there's enough of us that air quotes know it that i think we could rip into it pretty quickly agreed i love indonesia it's one of my favorite splatter games we will certainly play it next year sounds great all right jake what's your number one my number one is my last game i played in 2019 and it's the game they absolutely murdered me at which is love (laughs) by uve rosenberg so that was a great way to end the year jake i'm sure it was for you i have played love two or three times now and the same things happened every single time i play it I get to about two thirds the way in and I have no game and situation planned whatsoever. And then I'm just dead in the water. And I was off to a pretty early lead. I thought I was doing really well in that game. And then shipping happened and everything went poorly for me. And I went from like, like I I never ramped up with the amount of points I'm making per turn. I went from like making, I'm making like five or six points a turn pretty much every single turn until the end of the game versus everyone else was like making negative two points at the beginning and then starts ramping to make like 30 in the last couple of turns. I want to try Lahav again and not do my little running around just yanking stuff and actually focus and try to build an end game strategy. I am super happy with my play. It's actually the first time I ever took loans, which is amazing because actually loans are pretty desirable in this game. And I had a pile of, I had actually a pretty scary pile of them at one point. I, mean, I think I had six loans at one point or something like that. And was able to parlay all that into an engine, which allowed me to just go crazy at the end and ship a ton of points. And it's, it was by far my best score in that game. Yeah, and I, I think it was because I was doing some dumb stuff, too. I took a lot of stuff that you didn't care that I took that I thought you did. And I didn't need whatsoever. And it was just like wasting resources on stuff that and time on stuff that completely different matters. So I think I've played this game two or three times and every single time it's been the exact same style of play where I don't really know what's going on and I try my best and then I forget that like the game needs an end game strategy and I just don't have one and then I lose. Yeah, you did the 18xx equivalent of buying three three trains. Yeah, and in a game where three trains are bad. Yeah, just like no game end plans. I ran out of money, but I was doing real well at the beginning. So yeah, that's Lahav. I'd love to play it again. And I think knowing uh, how much you like the game, I think we'll have an ample opportunity to in 2020. That is an anytime, anyplace game for me. Now, not out of each other's collections, what three games would we like to play much more of in 2020? Our collections, your collections, anybody's collections. What would be the games that if you look back in 2020 and your top of your list on BG stats were inhabited by these games, what are those games, Jake? My top three are <laughs> all kind of the same game. So I, 1817 is delivering in 2020, starting in February. And I just have this weird idea that I don't play 18XX anymore. I just play 18, 1817. 
The financial levers that you have in this game is amazing. It's a game that just seems to have such an amazing system. I want to know it really well. I could totally just see myself playing this a bunch next year. So I want to play 1817 a bunch. I want to circle back to all the Age of Steam maps that we have. I have played on a very sad amount of them. And then finally, I want to play more splotters. You know, I have all of them, all the good ones, and I, I just haven't had a chance to play them that much in person this past year. I already have scheduled day four food chain magnet coming up pretty soon, just teaching a new player. But it just I, I want to make sure those are not just garage queens. I want to have them actually be brought out and played versus just brought to the game store and sat there. What are your three, Mark? I will take a pass on Food Chain Magnet and Great Zimbabwe, but I definitely want to try Roads and Boats and Bus. So those in Antiquity and Indonesia, I'm down to play with you. Agreed. And to be honest, I kind of agree with you on your two that you choose to ignore. I think we I played Great Zimbabwe a lot, and I don't think a lot of local people are interested in it. But yeah, I, I agree. What are your three, Mark? Okay, my first one's a game we played once in the fall, and I don't think we even got the flavor for it. This is City of the Big Shoulders by Parallel Games, designed by Raymond Chandler III. I think the problem is we both kind of came in with an expectation that this was a an 18xx game with industry instead of trains. And it it's not that. And I think our expectations weren't met, yet I keep hearing multiple people say how great this game is once you start appreciating it for its uniqueness and the fact it's not an 18xx game and it's not Arkwright. And I want to explore that more because it's beautifully produced. I like the theme and um, I I think there's more there than we saw in our first playthrough. Agreed. And I think our perception of it was weird, too. Like, I think we definitely Mm -hmm. thought it'd be what it is. And I think the, the marketing for that game did no service on what it actually is. Right. Well, and I think it's confusing because there are chunks of it that are literally directly ripped out of 18xx. I mean, the stock round is direct. (laughs) Like I taught it by just saying it's an 18xx stock round. Next. Yep. That didn't do any help either. But that's one that I want to get some reps on and really make an opinion on. I think ultimately I'm going to like it because I tend to like hybrid games and not everybody does. That's my number one. Number two is Age of Steam for all the reasons you listed. And a couple more. One is that this is a game that has become a complete earwig to me strategy wise. Like I realize every time I play it, how stupid I am with it and how terrible of a game player I am at it to the point where I've started like reading up on Age of Steam strategy. And then I realize I'm even dumber. And <laughs> <laughs> the more I read about it, the, <laughs> the, the worse I feel about myself in this game. And that's a game that I want to develop a level of mastery around. So you know, there's only one way to do it, then play it a bunch of times. Also, I've never played any map other than Rust Belt. Oh, that's sad. I played I played way more than you, but still, that's not a lot. Well, that's I know. awesome. Yeah, Age of, Steam, Age of Steam will totally be one that we'll play a bunch next year. And we all know it well enough that we can just rip it out and play, and there's no teach. So that's a plus two. And the third one is 18xx. All of them. Like, I'm not even going to pick titles on this one because I just want to play more 18xx. I didn't play enough last year. I played a, a bunch of a few titles. And there's a bunch of titles I really didn't get to play at all, and I want to play more. So more trains. That's, I guess, my underlying theme. There it is. I completely agree with that. So the final thing I think we'll do on this episode is the resolutions. Uh, Whenever the year ends, it's kind of a new chance to wash the, the, the stink of the last year off and try to figure out what you want to do for the upcoming year. What are some of your gaming resolutions this year, Mark? So my first resolution for 2020 is that I think I learned a lesson this year around hype. I bought a couple games that were highly hype, most notoriously Black Angel and also Edge of Darkness. I'll give myself a pass because I think I kickstarted Edge of Darkness in 2017 or something like that. 
But I'm going to really make a point of not buying games on hype alone, that it's a considered purchase on games that I have tried before and know that I'm going to love. And so it's maybe a case on just not buying games that I've never heard of or just have never played. Now, I am going to grant myself the imported game, especially Japanese game exception, because I don't know where you're going to try these games otherwise. And I just like collecting them for collecting sake because they're beautiful and I like playing them all. And I've and you can usually sell them used for about as much as you got them for. Yeah, there's almost no way to lose money on them. So I'm giving myself an exception on Japanese games. If I don't like them, I can get rid of them easily. And there aren't many that I don't like. So number one, buy no games on hype alone. What's your number one, Jake? My number one is to continue to play the games that we love. It's kind of the opposite of or kind of the same thing that you said, but the other side of that coin. We really tried this year to play the games that you really like and I really like, but we've somehow only played once or twice of each other's copies. And maybe there's a game that I've only that I love and I've only played it three times. I want to keep on circling back to those games that we know are good or great. I don't want to cast a die and just figure out maybe this game will be good. I want to try a game that I know is good. Everyone else thinks it's good. And I played it before and think it's good. That's my number one resolution for number 2020. What about you? What is your number two, Mark? My number two falls hand in hand with the comments I made earlier about Age of Steam, that there are a bunch of evergreen games that we both love and we both have played a few times and have played enough to realize that we're bad at them. And I don't want to be bad at them forever. I want to develop a level of mastery around a few evergreen games to really plumb the depths of their strategy and to understand how much depth and breadth these games can really deliver, because these are games that pack a mighty wallop when it comes to strategy. I've been working on that already and will continue to work on that last year. And specifically, the games I'm interested in developing my mastery on are Agricola, Age of Steam, Lahav, Power Grid, Brass, either Birmingham or Lancashire, and Twilight Struggle. That is a mighty fine list. That is that is a fun gaming group. You know, if you could say pick one of those six every single week, that'd be a totally fine game week, you know? Well, in game year, I mean, take just those games plus a few fillers and call that a game year. Oof. Oh, yeah. Forget about that. worse an, year, man. <laughs> absolutely. You know, completely agree. That's an amazing resolution. OK, what's your number two? My number two is kind of, again, kind of all saying the same thing, but from different sides. I want other players of our game group to run their games they're really excited about. I think me and you definitely bear the brunt of the load by our own choice, not by anyone in our game group not buying games. But if other people are really excited about a game and really want to try it, I'd love to try their copy before buying out another a new game. You know, like I'd, I'd much rather play all these games that people in the game group consider nines and have never played with us. I want to play other people's games more often. That is my second 2020 resolution. It's a great resolution. I mean, I love I love teach and I don't do Minnesotan well. That whole Minnesotan, I don't care. We, what, what do you want to play? And if somebody says that, I'll just go, boom, we're playing this. So, right. You and know. I think it's something as simple as <laughs> I want to play Dennis's game this week or whatever. Choose any person, you know, just Dennis, yep. what'd you bring? Yep. Pull it out. I don't care. Just play it. Just what <laughs> What do you think is your best game in that box? Bring it. You're bringing these games every week. You know, let's play some. Sounds great. My number three is uh, very similar to that goal. It's that I want to provide the gaming opportunities that I want in gaming. I, it's the old be the change you want to see in the world. And that's kind of generic. But, you know, how many times have we been to events and we kind of go, oh, man, there's nothing we're there's nothing that interesting to me there. There's nothing I really want to play. There's nothing we should be providing the type of things that we want to play. Cause I guarantee we're not the only ones that want to play that. So 
I think we took a big step towards that by launching MogulsCon last year and doing the gaming convention locally. That's the kind of gaming convention we would want to go to. And I want to do more of that this year, whether it's hosting events or teaching games better or offering to game master games at other conventions or, for, you know, whenever possible. So again, just sort of be that change in the gaming industry that I want to actually take part in. Yeah, that's awesome. I try to do that this upcoming year and have more scheduled game days, which I think did an okay job of. It's just the issue is my house is just not as conducive as your house is for hosting games, you know? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I think that's an admirable, admirable goal. So my number three, my last one is continue to meet new people who are interested in the same games that I am. So when I first started this hobby, I think you did what everybody did. And I tried to convert all of my high school and college friends into gamers. It worked okay. You know, I mean, certain people got interested in them, certain them didn't. But what's been so amazing to me in the last three years, and Mark, you're a huge example of this, is people who like these games can totally be really, really, really good friends. You know, so mm-hmm. maybe start with games that they, we, we share the same kind of games, same kind of passion for certain games and explore friendship from there. I'm not saying play with random people to play the best games in the world. I'd still, this is definitely a hobby that I would much rather play with amazing people than play amazing games, but give people a chance if they like the same games as you to really, to really wiggle into the group. Cause it's, it's amazing. The amount of amazing people I've met in this hobby. I'll say the backside of that one too, is that, you know, at the end of the day, really it is the people and it is the gaming with people. And boy, I would rather play games. I'm not interested with, with people I am interested in. Maybe I mean, from a friendship wise, don't read, don't misread that. Then not play at all. Agreed. At the end of the day, the part that I love, and we talk about this all the time. Hey, there's a blah, blah, blah group getting together on Sunday. And I'm just going, yeah, but my friends aren't there. Right. And I guess my, my whole thing is my idea of this is I've made so many amazing friends through these games I love. I need to keep on having an open mind that I can keep on doing that, if that makes sense. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you were to think that the person I've talked to probably most besides my wife is a, is a 50 year old guy who lives in a diner. I don't, I don't, I don't think you could have said that was true when I was 20, <laughs> when I was 23, you know? So yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting kind of seeing the fact no, that you I got can this, pull. I got this millennial buddy. Uh, yeah, totally normal. Go, yeah, right? just... <laughs> totally normal. Right. And so I, I think that there's something amazing about these games that can really pull people together, you know? So that's what I want to do. That is a fantastic list of resolutions and look forward to meeting as many of them as we can. As you can tell, we did not really summarize what our last year's resolutions were. So we'll just say that we're 100% successful on all of these. We did great. We did great. I can't believe we did as well. Well, I think the main one was that we wanted to go deeper into our collection and the numbers bear that out. We absolutely did that. Maybe not as deep as we could have, but we certainly played less titles more. Agreed. Well, this has been a wonderfully long episode. We should probably wrap it up. Sounds great. Hey, Year ends are always a blast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Here's to a great 2020, Jake. Cheers, man. Here's to a great 2020. Good night, everybody. Good night. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.
if I look back at the, uh, I just had a stroke. 